by popular demand. <laughs> so nice to see you, man. Again. I really enjoyed our, our last talk and my wife was like, you should do this more often. I'm like, you really enjoy it. I'm like, it's fun. I could do this all day. It's- Me too. I've been looking forward to this all day, more than just today. I've been, uh, I'm so excited to talk about AI with you because I know you're so passionate about it and I am so curious and so many other people are as well. Uh, all types of things I want to know about, you know, what's on the bleeding edge, the cutting edge of it. Um, you know, what are the masses doing wrong right now? How can business owners uh, like me um, benefit potentially in the short run, medium term, long term, everything? I just want to start. Let's go all the way back to the very beginning, April. <laughs> can you believe? Was it April when Chat 3.5 came out? I think it was November. Really? Kind of went mainstream with 3, 3.5, and then March, GPT 4 came out, and that's when it oh, April. really. I thought it was April. Yeah, I was thinking about 4. Oh, 4. Yeah, March, mid March. I can't, but even go back to November, it's, it's, uh, it's bananas. How much has changed? Like how this has become the topic of conversation for so many people. Um, so fast. A lot of people still don't believe it. Or some of the people that did believe it are now kind of like acclimatizing to it, you know? Yeah. But it's the deeper you dig, the wider that rabbit hole gets. And it's, it's shocking to me how, how excited people are and how little they know about what's actually going on. That's why I I started doing these workshops and conferences and speaking engagements, because I felt almost like it was a global need to tell all my friends and clients and EO community, everybody I know, I just had to like shout it from the rooftops because I felt like I'd seen something almost divine that like, if you don't move now, you could be totally hooped in a couple of years. And at the same time, if you do move now, this could be, abundance like you've never seen before. So yeah, I'm super excited to talk about this. I've been like when it first came out in, in November, I think it was GPT three or 3.5, whichever one it was. I, I, I found it on TikTok. I believe it or not. I use TikTok for, um, just quick learning, right. To follow a bunch of AI influencers on there. And it was blowing up and I I presented it to my, my partner. Um, he's going to watch, watch this and be like, why are you bringing this up? But (laughs) at first he's like, oh, this is all hype. This is all hype. This isn't real. I'm like, no, this is, this is it. And it was really once GPT-4 came out in March that it really set in like, this is something special. This is a lot more than just auto typing, you know? No, it's, I mean, that's what it is for 95% of people. You, you ask chat GPT something, and you get this sort of ver- not verbal diarrhea, but this essay back that's kind of cool and entertaining. And then you get on with the rest of your day. Uh, but there's a lot more to it than that, which is why you're so obsessed with it, right? So much more. Yeah. And it's perfect for a mind like mine. Cause I just, I'm always craving learning and my whole life. And it almost feels like 22 years of entrepreneurship have led up into this moment. I mean, we've been building technical business automation platforms, whether ERPs or even back in the club zone club vibes days, we were trying to automate nightlife marketing or with green rush, we were trying to automate cannabis distribution and marketing or with maybe I cut that out so I can still travel (laughs) (laughs) or with uh, agency suite. We're automating digital marketing agencies and centralizing data, automating processes. Now all of those things we're working on, that is the foundational layer of AI centralized data is the first thing you need to do in order to automate software. Um, but AI requires that. So even though we've only been dabbling with AI for maybe five years, when we, we got into it, it's been 22 years of prep for this moment. So 
uh, my wife and, and my partner, we sort of joke about this. We're like, this is our moment to shine. Like we've been, you know, reading the book Abundance. Have you read that book? Yeah. You know, when you read that book and you see about how exciting the future can be, it feels like this is the, 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 the start of that abundance movement, you know? Yeah. You know, it's almost like you got to read that again as the world changes, you know, you see it through, you know, a different lens and you see different opportunities and different perspectives. It seems like it might be the right time to read that one again. So most people just talk with chat GPT. They haven't really incorporated it into their work. They, it's mostly sort of entertainment. They maybe put their own name in there. Just like when the, when their internet browsers first came out, people would search themselves, uh, typically, um, but I mean, let's, in terms of like, just like establishing the like language for the conversation, um, what is the difference between AI and machine learning? Cause machine learning has been around for a long time. And I think in the past people have thrown out the term AI cause it sounds cool. Uh, and often they were referring to machine learning when they were doing it. Um, but now finally AI is real. Is it a gray area or is there a specific point at which it goes from, you know, machine learning to AI? Um, before I get into the specific definitions, the first thing I always talk about when I give these talks is one of the first slides is I say there's really very fewer. I'm, I'm not an expert on this and I don't think anybody that's working on this can be because the field is moving, growing, changing so fast that I have probably 60 people working on this and we still feel like we know less than 10% of what's going on. So we kind of have to choose where you're focusing. Like you have to specialize in some part of it or, or fly higher, you know, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 foot view of what's going on. So I'm not from a software development background and a lot of the terminology of like, you know, large language models and the different types of AI, I'm not an expert in. My general take on it is that, you know, machine learning has been around for quite a while. I mean, going back to Google Maps and your Siri or your Alexa, we're going to probably set off a bunch of automated speakers in this office, aren't we? No. Um, you know, I'm guessing that's going back 10 plus years that machine learning has been pretty mainstream, but don't quote me on that. And artificial intelligence for me is the moment that, you know, GPT, these large language models started doing something a little bit different, but I, I believe that it's a bit of a gray area that we've just kind of slid from machine learning into AI. And there's even sparks of AGI, like artificial general intelligence. Some people are debating that right now where new fields of intelligence are actually being created by these AIs. So we're definitely out of the machine learning stage. I think the question is now, where's the boundary between AI and AGI? I'm not an expert either, but I think machine learning is just this sort of iterative learning process that a computer might or software might might go through and learning your preferences and giving you, you know, a better experience the next time and remembering a little bit of stuff. And then AI is when you're having an experience with a computer where you're not sure if it's a computer or a real person. Like it seems to have a personality. And that's how long conversations get with chat GPT for me, you know, a noob uh, who just messes around with it. Um, you know, you ask it, it remembers what you t just talked about and you ask sort of again, iterative questions and you, and you can, uh, it feels like you've had a pretty good conversation with a pretty good friend sometimes is giving you pretty good advice. Yeah. And I've tested that expertise. Like I would say I'm an expert with, digital marketing or Google ads or certain parts of psychology. And I've asked it the most challenging questions, even with like psychology and, and dealing with like therapy type questions. And I just blown away. I felt like I was speaking to the, 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 
the smartest person in the world. And it was just checking everything. Or I would upload complex documents. Like for within Google Ads, we have this Google Ads audit checklist that we use and we're very proud of it. And I just uploaded the entire spreadsheet, just a bunch of garbage and said, what am I missing? How do you upload? Because I think the vast, vast majority of people just interface through OpenAI's chat GPT account login and just ask it questions. Yeah. I mean, just the most basic form, like we use a lot of tools outside of that environment, but within the environment, I mean, you can just go to a spreadsheet of information, just total garbage, copy it, paste it into that field and say, analyze this and it works. You can go into YouTube and grab like a, you know, 30 minute transcript of timestamps and spaces, and a bunch of garbage and put it in there and say, summarize this. And it knows so it doesn't have to be just you typing away. You can. You that's can, using the same tool that everybody's using, just pasting all of that into the same box where we're typing our silly questions. Yeah. And where things get really exciting is when you start to step outside of that environment and access it via the APIs. And then you start to connect it to your first party data and basically personalize that experience and, and turn it into AI for you or cloning yourself or automating processes within your company and things get really crazy when you start to connect the systems together and they start talking with each other. Oh, that's wild. Um, what is first party data? Is that information about me? Not just about you, but it's data that you've organized, you've cleaned up. It, it's not necessarily just data that you've collected about your company and your customers. It could be also processes, systems, the way that you operate things. I would consider that to be first party data as well. I even in include like a consolidation or cleanup of third party data that you've organized. I would now call that first party data. So you know, with an agency suite we talked about in the last podcast, like we are bringing in data from our internal ERP, from the client side, from accounting software, from Google ads, Google analytics, we're organizing it, cleaning it up and augmenting it. That's a solid chunk of first party data that we can use as a, a base to train our own AIs. So what is the platform? Like for somebody who's just familiar with just the basic chat GPT in the field and typing stuff in, what is the best platform uh, with the API connection uh, to to start, you know, that that stuff, that journey of, of let's give it some more information than what we can paste into that text box. I mean, we just use OpenAI's API. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of different options out there. I'm not an expert in them. There's so many, but um, yeah, we've built our own tool on top of it. So it's called MyZone.ai and MyZoneAI Pro is a tool that's built on top of uh, ChatGPT4. But just to give you an idea of how many tools are like that out there, we're actually building, we're about to launch a free AI tool that will help you discover the thousands of AI tools and find out which one's right for you. Because every day there's hundreds, if not thousands of new apps opening up that are built on top of different language models like OpenAI, GPT-4, GPT-3.5. So it'll be launching any day. We're building a bunch of free tools just for marketing purposes. It's so easy to crank out new tools. Like we've got Another one, we're releasing um, three free tools. Um, one of them is a YouTube transcriber. So the, the issue with YouTube, if those of you haven't figured this out yet, you can go to any YouTube video, click the little three dots in the corner, grab the transcript, just copy and paste it into ChatGPT with a, a beautiful prompt. You can have a summary in the voice of your famous YouTube personality, and then you can turn that into your own customized script and, you know, put in a connected to an automatic AI voice and, and an avatar, and you can recreate videos in your own voice from other people's content in minutes. Um, but one of the challenges with using chat GPT for that is the, the character limits. So I think you have about a 3000 character limit on the sort of web or app, but through the API, it's 
20,000. Um, but still, regardless, if you take a video that's longer than 30 minutes, you're getting past 20,000 characters and it'll say error. This file size is too long. So one of the tools we built with the API is we just, you just punch in the URL. It can be like a four hour podcast. You just punch in the URL and it'll create a short and a long transcription for you automatically because of the way we, we condense the information, we upload it as training data into, um, this, uh, software called Pinecone. It just creates long-term memories so basically chat GPT plus memory. So we upload that into memory. Um, and then you'll have to talk to my CTO exactly how that works. But once you get outside of GPT into the API, there's all sorts of neat things you can do, like add memory, predefined prompts, have third-party API connections, like connecting into other tools. Um, but all of that is just built on top of chat GPT. My understanding of what an API is, is, is the, uh, the connection between one software to another, right? Open yep. APIs mean it, that's a company, that's a software, a product that's welcome, you know, cooperation uh, with others, you know? And, and so when you say that open AI, the company that, that started chat GPT uh, has um, an API that you use, how does a regular person access that? <laughs> that's a really good point. I realize there's a whole bunch of acronyms there that sound very similar to each other. Like open, <laughs> you got to go to the open, open AI's API for their AI model <laughs> yeah. connected to chat GPT. That's a lot of letters, but so API stands for application interface and open AI is the parent company of chat GPT An application interface is a way that two different pieces of software can talk with each other. So open AI has a service chat GPT. They've got the app, they've got the website. You can use that. That's just regular web browsing or an app like before. Or if you're a developer, you can connect using their API. You can connect to their system and then you pay to access their data. And most apps, I would venture to say like the vast majority of apps, AI apps that you see right now, they're powered by open AI's data that they access through that API connection. Yeah, I get it. Is the app as good as the website? better it's faster really and it's tactile just, what do you mean like you it, you just have it in your hand you mean no you it, it's a uh, what's the word your phone vibrates and stuff while you're using it so while it's typing and doing stuff it just feels more <laughs> alive somehow <laughs> i really like the app yeah and you can just press the microphone and talk and it starts vibrating it's pretty cool yeah uh but it's working off the same data it's just as current i believe so it feels faster to me somehow like the output feels good 50% faster, Yeah, um, but same data. So for somebody that wants to uh, take it to their, their use of ChatGPT to the next level, um, do you recommend using OpenAI's API to start to more easily upload more than 3,000 characters and start you know giving this first-person data that you talk about uh, up to the platform? I think you may need to have an interest in becoming a bit of a software developer. Now, the boundaries for becoming a developer have dropped dramatically since November or since March. Um, so if you have an interest, you can learn these things pretty fast. There's all sorts of tools that, you know, there's no code, low code type platforms out there that will allow you to create like memory and enter in your, your, your tokens and connect and do those things. Like in the past, like going back a few years, you'd need to be a software developer to figure these things out. But now it's pretty easy drag and drop and you can start building these things on your own, but you need to be interested in, you know, that process. I haven't personally explored that. And that's a fortunate situation because my 
business partnership with with Andre, our CTO, and we're we're halfers on everything. I will say everything in life except our wives. And <laughs> he is the tech genius, and I get to focus on sales, marketing, biz dev, strategy, finance, like that's the corporate side of things. And so we connect in the middle on business and I just let him go nuts with the code and he's building teams of people and giving me all the updates, but I don't even have to look at it. Cause I know we're in good hands. Just like he doesn't have to worry about what I'm doing with the marketing or conference strategy. Yeah. So I haven't got super deep into that. I'm just talking high level strategy with our CTO and our, and our devs. Um, so my guess is that it's not that hard to do. I've seen, I've met with other companies that have just been playing around and figuring it out on their own. I think if, you know, if you dedicated a solid week to saying, I want to become an AI developer, you could probably figure it out. I mean, you can even just go to, you could go to chat GPT and say, I would like to become a developer and do these things. How do I do that? And it will tell you, and then you drill down step-by-step -step instructions and you can even get chat GPT to write you the code and you can, you know, like within, was it within five minutes of chat GPT four coming out, someone had recreated the original pong game and published it online within five minutes. I mean, <laughs> you don't need a software development background anymore to become a software developer. It's wild. It's overwhelming too. You know, I think the regular people like me that don't spend all day thinking and talking about this, like you, um, they get, uh, they're very interested. I'm definitely interested. Um, but I'm not going to spend my nights just experimenting with it for fun. I got other stuff I want to do, but I want to do stuff with it that generates a result for me, you know, helps me improve my life in some way, helps performance of our business or the experience of our clients or team members. So, but it's overwhelming. All, I think that the regular people out there don't know, they know it's amazing and it can do all this stuff and it can do more than what they think it can do. But the regular person can't even think necessarily of what they want it to do because they're they're they they just can't even imagine the possibilities, I guess, of what it's capable of. Do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, totally. I would agree. I think that's the number one reason that most people don't know more than that first 1% of what's going on. I mean, think back to the internet revolution was it 1995 and e-commerce stores were just getting started and you're a retailer or like any of those businesses have been disrupted, whether it's Blockbuster or Kodak or, you know, going back over time, if you are day to day operating in a business that is about to get disrupted and something like this comes at you, it's not like you have a bunch of free time to just stop what you're doing and jump in there. Like us humans, we're always pushing. And I mean, the reason we're destroying our planet is because we always want more, more, more. All of us, most of us, especially entrepreneurs, we always have our plates full. So it's very hard to find the space to, to clear up when something this big comes along to have the mind space for it. So I think because of that lack of ability for us to absorb this, that we, I think we diminish what's going on so that we can justify our actions. And so I think that's part of the reason why people aren't like running around going, Oh my God, this is changing the world. I have to drop everything to do it. It's because we can't, and we have, you know, that cognitive dissonance where you have to align your actions and your attitudes with your behaviors. And people just don't have the capacity right now to just, drop what they're doing and spend 20% of their time on this. I've been super fortunate. I've been able to put about 50, 60% of my time into this since November, but most people can't put more than 5%. So, and you can't like, you can't possibly absorb this with just even 30 minutes a day. It's not enough. So what should regular people do? I think if we're talking to business owners, entrepreneurs, the first thing I would do is, is you need to figure out your AI pivot strategy. And even before there, like, uh, talk a bit about like the, the, the wake up, like 
first of all, is you just need to realize that this moment is massive. So when I go through my, my presentation, like we do these AI wake up calls, we'll drop in on like uh, executive teams or EO forums and we'll, we'll talk about what's going on. We go through the slides and the first thing is we do is we just blow people's minds. We just say, watch this video, look at this, like watch this video and people walk out of there going, oh my God, this is way bigger than I thought. So that's the first thing is you just have to realize this thing is huge. And if you, if you haven't had that happen to you yet, if you haven't had that moment where you get goosebumps and be like, this is a hundred times bigger than I thought, um, then you won't have the the drive to make all those drastic changes in your business. So the first thing is you got to wake up to it and I, and waking up to it isn't, isn't as simple as just going onto YouTube and watching a few videos. Like you need to dig, dig and, and like having somebody like myself come into your company and be super enthused and, and show you this stuff is one thing versus you just sort of scrolling through on your own. So I think having like a, a visionary, passionate person really show it to you can be super helpful. And that's sort of why we've been doing that. And for the record, we've been doing all those things for free. I'm not trying to sell here. Um, so once you're woken up to it and, and you've seen like, did, did you go to that, that presentation with, with, uh, Nicholas? I did. Yeah. And where he, he takes like an, an image and another image and suddenly all your 3d architectural modeling is done near perfect. And you're like, well, what the heck are you yeah. seeing an image of the car that was, one of them was produced for $40,000 and took five weeks. And another one was done with AI in five minutes and you can't tell the difference. Yeah. You need to like, there's almost like a hundred little moments like that, that people have. And all of a sudden it just, it, it builds up within them. They're like, ah, now what do I do with it? So first thing is you got to wake up to it. A uh, second thing I always say is, you know, I mean, how would you normally pivot or start a new business? Where would you start with that? Well, I, I like the idea of the new factory model. Are you familiar with that? So it's a story about Ford, who is not dominating the electric car market by any means, but taking a very intelligent approach um, in that they have their old factory making the F-150s, the top selling pickup truck in the world. And it's doing a great job. It's the top selling pickup truck in the world. I mean, they're nailing it. But at the very same time, they realize that the electric vehicle market is huge and growing and that is the future. But rather than killing uh, the old factory, uh, they build a new factory literally right next door to the F-150 factory. Uh, and in that they start building, you know, the uh, Ford Lightning. And it's a very different factory. You know, it's full of programmers. The, the floors are polished white. Uh, it's a completely different thing. It's still Ford. They're still making trucks, um, but very different in every other way. And it's this idea, this, this way of approaching these things where you don't kill the old. You still keep doing the old, but you, you build the new factory and you just start doing it. And then if you're right, gradually... The new factory will take off and the old factory will fade away, but the whole transition will have been smooth, uninterrupted and successful. Perfect. And, and I think that's in the book, you know, exponential organizations. They talk about those building those black ops teams, you know, exactly. That was a perfect story there. That's one strategy that I think you need to do. And it's, it all starts with vision. I think you need to have two visions. One of them like is how are you going to evolve your business organically rapidly over the next two to five years so that you don't get disrupted? And then to analyze your business and say, if I was going to get disrupted, who's going to take me out? And most of the companies I talk to, they need to develop both strategies at the same time, because one of them is long-term, one of them is short-term and iterative. And you also don't know for sure with certainty that, you know, the black ops situation is going to actually materialize. So, that's the first thing we work on is, is the, the strategy. So going back to like, we're on Rockefeller habits. I think you're on traction. Like 
it's setting your BHAG, setting your, your moonshot and working your way back to your five, three, one year quarterly, your PSPs, your rocks all the way across your team. That's the first thing you need to do and getting alignment from everybody is important. Um, and also I think if you realize that you don't have the core values within your core organization to pull that off, just like you talked about Ford and the developers, it's probably a very different culture than the, the what they were used to. If you don't have that, because we know core values are something you have to discover from within your companies. It's not something you can impose on your teams as much as we've tried. Um, yeah, I mean, you can sort of impose it with careful hiring and firing. You can massage that and change that over time, but it's something that's discovered from within. And if, if you don't have that culture that's required, the mindset, that innovative mindset within your company, it's going to be very, very hard to, to change unless you're planning on, you know, turning over your whole staff within the next couple of years. So that culture is, is super important, that culture of innovation. So one of the things you'll see on our website, like in our workshop, like my wife, Jeanette, who does coaching, she's already pivoted her business. She does now AI mindset coaching to help companies realize the core values and culture that they need to have in order to succeed in this sort of exponential age. So if you don't have that, like if you're already a company that say super innovative and you're not scared to break things and you know, you've got the right culture there, then you might be able to pivot your existing business and sort of massage it in a way that it becomes that. But most people I talk to, they need to do both. It's like one iteratively improve the efficiency of your business. And look like a pretty normal goal for companies that I would set now, if I was sort of consulting with them is you should be looking for about 30, 40% efficiency gains from your back office operations, from your customer support, from your sales, like 30, 40% is a fairly conservative goal over the next 12 months. Uh, and at the same time, you want to have that vision and say like, what else is going to happen? And then do you, do you fund that? Do you invest in it? Do you realize that's inevitable and sell your business cash out and just invest and retire? But there's a lot of like, once you start looking at that, I mean, I think your business, I think you're pretty darn safe from that external influence. You're going to, there's going to be a lot of agencies like yours that will become hyper-efficient around AI and they will develop competitive advantages that will allow them to gobble up all of your competitors. And hopefully that's you doing that to them. Um, or you get gobbled up at a good valuation, but I don't like it's the businesses that have a reliance on brick and mortar and physical people being in physical places. They have a bit more time for this and there's less chance of this outside uh, disruption. But yeah, that's typically how we look at it to start with the wake up call. Then it's, it's the, the vision on both sides, both internal and from external disrupting yourself or investing in that and getting down into the, the alignment all the way down to the quarterly rocks within your company. That's sort of the, the first couple of steps. What's the wake up call like? Like, what does Jeanette tell you are the, like, there must be a lot of fear with employees and team members that are maybe worried about learning something new or potentially having their job significantly change or potentially losing their job or something like that. It's huge. And coaching is, is so important for that. Um, if you have people in a company and you suddenly come along and say, hey, we're going to find a way to improve efficiency of our business 40% by the end of the year, what's the first thing that they're thinking? Am I going to automate myself out of a job? Yeah. It's the first thing they think. And so Jeanette coaches them to say like, look, it's almost a bit of a prisoner's dilemma that you can either help your company automate and build competitive advantages and grow and acquire and scale and protect your job and protect your company, or you can be scared and not do anything and just lose your job. And if we, we know like one of the most important qualities on our resume, like already now, and definitely 
exponentially more in the future is how good are you with these AI tools? You know, in the past, <laughs> totally. it's like, how fast can you type? Do you know Microsoft Office or using Asana? Yeah. You know, now it's going to be like, what are your top 10 favorite AI apps? And what have you recently automated in your workflow? Be like, if you don't have answers for that, like they'll be next, you know? Totally. So you have to, it, one, excite the employees about the, the, the future of abundance and what it means for the world. And most of the time, like the global benefit as a whole will be positive. There's going to be inequality through that, but the people that embrace this and take advantage of it, they're going to end up on top. And if you try to, you know, just if you go with a protectionist mentality here, you know, it's going to be like, what's a comparison? Cut that out. I couldn't think of one on the spot, but <laughs> forget it. We're leaving yeah. it. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be just like, I, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Google something quick. Yeah. Um, tell me this. Blockchain left a bad taste in my mouth. Yes. You know, it was, it was like, it was amazing and it was going to solve everything. And it was the, the whole financial system and, 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 and record keeping and just everything was going to change because of blockchain and every company, uh, especially startups, you know, painted themselves with the blockchain brush and the ones that made it in time, I guess, made a bunch of money and then a whole bunch that were too late didn't. Uh, and it was over like a fad and, and companies that I'd invested in took blockchain out of all of their language on their websites. It became like a bad word. How is this is just not the same. You're saying that this is permanent and forever and, and not just another, another fad. Well, I'm still a big fan of blockchain and I think blockchain is one of many like within the top 10 exponential technologies that will change the world. Um, I agree. I should be more specific. What was annoying about it was all of the opportunists, I guess, Yes, that oversold it and, and painted their, their projects with that brush and, and uh, kind of left a bad taste in people's mouth to the point where it, it, it couldn't really be talked about as much as it should be. I agree with everything you said. And, and yeah, I mean, we, a lot of the dev resources that we've thrown on our AI projects came from our NFT division. Um, so yeah, I mean, even look at Facebook that was a press release or the investor session uh, about a month ago and they didn't mention the word metaverse once. And they said the word AI like 36 times and they've taken all of their developers off the metaverse project, which those of you who don't know metaverse is, you know, it, the, it, it's closely tied to NFTs and cryptocurrency and blockchain and, yeah, they've shifted. Most companies have been shifting resources out of blockchain into AI development. I think the big, big difference there is the use case for blockchain is still unknown. It's off in the future. It's maybe a storage of wealth if you're talking Bitcoin. But um, yeah, there's a lot of just so much uncertainty and unknown. And there was so much money invested into that space. And we haven't yet to see like a killer app really come out of that. I never thought of the metaverse as blockchain. I thought of it more as virtual reality. It connects though, because the, the currency and the items, the whole economy in the, whole economy. In the metaverse yeah, in all virtual worlds is, is blockchain based. Yeah. yeah. So like when Facebook announced their metaverse project, crypto had a big spike because of that. And a lot of related currencies. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all interconnected. And yeah. so I think the long-term use case for blockchain is still there, but it didn't have that short term where the thing right now, like the shocking thing 
it gets people like I, I do these talks and people come in like they're expecting like a $50,000 price tag or 25 grand a month consulting fees. I'm like, no, I'm doing this for free. And everything I said, I can do for 50 bucks a month. And you can probably do it for yourself in five minutes. Like we could build you a tool. I was talking to one, one, one client or friend that I met in Victoria and they have, well, I have to be careful what I say because I don't want to scare their team, but they, they have a bunch of people doing stuff. And just with five minutes of work, I think they could probably get rid of 90% of that team. No way. Just, and like, how much would it cost? I'm like 25 to 50 bucks a month and maybe an hour of setup. So, <laughs> so you have these immediate use cases where, you know, you can spend $50 and save $200,000 a year on your operations. Whereas blockchain didn't have that. So, and also if you look at, you know, some of the stats on when I put up my slides and, and do these talks, we, we look at the, the speed at which technologies sort of ripped through society. And it was like, Facebook was five years to hit a hundred million users and Twitter did it in 4.5. And you go all the way down to TikTok, did it in nine months, hit a hundred million users. Well, ChatGPT did it in less than two months. Um, so it's, it's spreading way, way faster. And the use case, it's like, it's way, way stickier. And, uh, you know, we saw six X growth in Google searches for the term artificial intelligence in the last 12 months. I mean, every, it's not just businesses or creative writers or people writing blogs or, you know, it's, it's people just looking for restaurant ideas on the way for a Napa trip. You know, I'm, I'm heading here today, this afternoon, me, me and my wife, uh, my son is going to uh, summer camp first week off of school up in Squamish there. And we're going to go down the Oregon coast, but we haven't planned our trip yet. And the, we had a little strategy session on the, the balcony this afternoon. Okay. You do this. I'll do, I'll, I'll book the hotels. And she's just going to go into chat GPT and said, we're leaving Vancouver. We have six days. We want to go from here. We want to end up down at Cannon beach and blah, 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 plan out a six day itinerary. And it just crushes it, you know, so that people are using it for just random day-to-day -day things. And there's other people that are automating their businesses. There's so many immediate use cases, but the crazy part here is what you play with there is just the tip of the iceberg. What's coming down the line here is just, it's where it gets crazy. What's coming? Well, from, from business owners perspective, the, the limitations here, you're dealing with character limits, you're dealing with memory storage. Um, it doesn't know who you are. It doesn't have access to anything about you. So the magic, the sparks really start to fly. I'll, I'll show you, I'll walk you through the road, the development roadmap we have for my zone AI. And we're moving so fast. Like this is not, um, like we're figuring this out every day. It's changing super fast. But right now version we're calling a 0.1 is we take chat GPT and we're adding on long-term memory storage, predefined prompts. You can customize it within a few minutes, upload some files, hit submit. You've got your own custom chatbot. So if you've got say your SOPs for your whole company and you want to build a chatbot that will anyone have questions about SOPs instead of bugging your HR manager, just ask the SOP bot. You can do that in five minutes and suddenly your HR manager is like, thank you. You just saved me like 80% of the most annoying questions I get every day are now being automated by a bot in a couple of minutes. So that's, that's 0.1. It's adding memory, connecting to first party data, customizing prompts, or even a situation like say you are using chat GPT regularly to write blogs or to do other functions. Well, every time you use it, you have to either go into the correct little chat window on the left-hand side where you have your prompts and your memory which some people do, or you have to have like a spreadsheet with all of your prompts organized, copy and paste. I want you to write an article and you have to learn prompt engineering. And I mean, 
I think prompt engineering will be gone very quickly. And what we're doing is we just program cut, like we enter the prompts in advance, we save it in that tool. And then you just use that tool over and over. So say you were spending, I don't know, five minutes generating a blog post because of all the sort of back and forth that you were doing with chat GPT to load up information. Well, you can build a tool where it's already there. And all you do is you just grab an idea, paste it, submit, and it just does everything it's supposed to do. So just the process of getting rid of prompts and saving them and storing them into the specific applications and then working off your first party data. Um, that's we're calling 0.1 now. So that sounds to me like having uh, a bot or something for each sort of repeated process in a, in a team or business environment. Is that? Yeah. So we're breaking it down into three things that it can do. And so one is advisors. That's where you can build an advisory panel of experts, both alive and dead to consult and potentially even have future conversations with each other to guide you on strategy. That's one angle advisory. The second one we're calling assistance. That's where every single function within your company is either, you know, improved efficiency, 10, 20% or completely replaced by one of these assistants. And that could be everything from generating a weekly newsletter to going out and doing research on the web and reporting back. Um, and then the third one we're, we're calling clones. That's where we start to clone the individuals in the company. So say you have a company of 50 people, I expect that every single one of them will have a clone and every single function in their company will have an assistant. And then you'll probably have a small advisory panel for every department. So let's say you're a marketing agency, let's talk the advisory side. I'm still one of the most knowledgeable in a wide area of digital marketing. And I'm slowly stepping back. Like we have a, a new media buyer who's smarter and more experienced than me, our content manager, email manager, but there's still lots of functions. And it all just sort of trickles back to me. Like, hey, what should we do for this SEO situation? Or how should we optimize this website? And I can go out there. I'll use one example. Uh, Rand Fiskin, from, uh, formerly from Moz, he was one of the, my early influences on search engine optimization. And I watched almost every single one of his Whiteboard Friday sessions on YouTube. You go to it and he's just iconic in the SEO space. Well, don't sue me, Rand, but we can go and take all that content. We can use a tool to automatically transcribe it. We can upload that into a system and then we can call it Randy Fisher. And so we don't get sued <laughs> and have any questions about SEO, go ask Randy and now leave me alone. So you can start to clone other people or and build your advisory panel. And every company needs advisors. If you look at all of the questions, like the, the way companies are built, you've got your sort of entry level, intermediate, senior managers, owners, and information is always flowing back and forth, up and down this chain. And if you just have this AI panel, if you say, who are the most influential experts in the field? Like for me, I know who they are. I know like you can use the entire book as training data. You can, you can go back and say every single video or book that Steve Jobs ever published could be training data. And now you can ask Steve Jobs advice. Um, so that's getting into the, the purposes, advisors, assistants, and clones. That's where we're going. And so from 0.1, it's fairly static. It's kind of cool. Like ChatGPT is already exciting. Now add memory and make it easier. Uh, remove a lot of character issues and character limits and Okay, now it's customized for you and it's first party training. That's already pretty exciting. Most people's minds get blown when they can see, hey, I can automate my customer support in five minutes, 80% for 50 bucks. Version one is where things get crazy. That's where 
we start to connect instead of training data being files that you manually upload into the system, we're building these API connections into your data. So that could be into your email or into your Slack or into your Asana, into your Salesforce and your CRMs, things like that. So now imagine a scenario say we cloned you and it's now, instead of being a chat interface, it's now within your Slack and it's now called cam dot. I can't do dots in Slack. It'll be cam. You can do dots cam dash AI, right? So you, instead of messaging you, you just tell everybody, if you want to talk to cam, you have to talk to, through his AI. And so the AI has the, like yeah, so that. this is how we're going to clone you. And we can do this like now in a private dev environment, it's going to be live in less than two months. So now imagine everybody in your company, if they have a question for you, they have to slack you. And then the AI says, do I have the training data to answer this with a high degree of confidence? And this is just, they're answering questions purely off of the data that you've uploaded. It could be as simple as here's the top hundred questions that annoy Cam, and you're just going to add that as your training data. And if it's one of those questions, it'll answer it and fire it back. And the person doesn't even necessarily need to know whether you answered it or the AI. But then if it doesn't have the answer, it will then go on to slack you and say, Hey, Cam, we got a question. I don't have training data for here's the question. What do you think? And then you've write a very thoughtful message or even record a video and hit enter. And it goes back. It'll update the AI. The AI will get smarter and it will give the answer to the user. But the next time that question comes along, that's now part of its data set. And so it might start like 20% automation, 25, 30, 35. So version 0.1 can do the same thing, but it's manual and it's through a chat-based interface. And you can log in there and say, hey, there was a hundred questions asked today and it only answered 43 of them. What were those 57 questions it didn't have answers for? And you can manually add that hit refresh, it will retrain the model. And then tomorrow it will be better. So we're moving that to an automated system using APIs. So you can go into whether it's WhatsApp or text message or email or Slack, and then make those connections between the user and yourself and put the AIs in the middle. So they automatically get smarter. You can also have them automatically gain intelligence from third-party applications like Asana and your calendar, et cetera. So now it gets pretty complex because think of the permissions and security that you have around as you start to give access to different tools. Like there's certain people that you're fine to, to say what's going on in your calendar and when you're free and other people that are not. So, um, but that's when things get wild and that's only version one version two gets even crazier. <laughs> I thought it was 0 0.1. Well, 0 0.1 is, is static. You upload the, the files, you have the, the learning it's customized chat GPT with memory and first party data. Yeah. Version 1.0 is when we have all the real-time API connections and the AI is getting smarter and smarter and, and it's no longer just a chat interface. Now, version two, we're not entirely sure what we're going to call it. Either it's like there's a whole auto GPT or agent GPT stuff where the AI start to talk to each other. Uh, it might be multi-prompt or we're going to come up with some names. Uh, auto GPT, everyone knows. We might just call it like auto my zone pro or something. We'll see. But this is when you start to string the AIs together and they can talk to each other. So in the advisory panel example, say you have five different advisors, say you're a tech company and you have these five senior tech players. I don't know, maybe you've got Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and two other people. You can set it up so they'll have like round robin conversations with each other and try to accomplish a specific objective. And you can watch those conversations take place and they can argue and debate with each other reflect on, on what they're doing and give you amazing advice. Uh, or you can build a, an assembly line, like under the assistance use case. Let's look at that 
building an AI newsletter that we did. So we have one bot that goes out there and is trained to grab data from the internet and read off RSS feeds and just bring in data and stick it into storage. And then the next one is supposed to analyze sentiment, understand what's important, what are people engaging with, what matters to the demographics. So we have one newsletter for small business owners. You have to go through all the AI news from the last week and say, what do small business owners really care about and how do you know? So you might have a second process that's determining sentiment and relevancy and engagement. You might have another one that is turning all that information into a beautiful email newsletter. And then we have another one that will turn that into a 60 second video script. And then another bot that will connect with 11 labs and do the voiceovers and another one that will connect with Synthesia and, and do the avatars and, and all of these different systems work together. So now you can start to build these little Lego pieces and connect them with little connectors and APIs. And though each of those systems can also have their own API connections to their own data sources. So they can start getting smarter and smarter over time. So yeah, it gets pretty crazy. You look to a point where you can automate like so many more things than you used to. In the past, you wanted to automate something in your business. You'd have to build an ERP, spend a shit ton of money, spend a ton of time. And now it's like, you got five, 10 minutes, like let's automate something right now. And so now everything is, everything has changed. I love listening to you talk, man. <laughs> you just get going and I start writing down. These are each one of these are, uh, these little pictures or light bulbs. And these are all ideas. And I sure, I assume this is what your audience does every time, right? You, you talk about all these options, things come into my mind, you know, like uh, there's so many, but some are so obvious. Like uh, one of the examples he gave, uh, would work. I think you're talking about me. It's kind of like half joking, but I could just see how that would work for customer care type scenarios so well because customer care representatives get asked the same questions all the time. Yep. Like when is my deposit due? Um, uh, can I assign my condo? You know, it's this, it's the same thing over and over. Yeah. You'd be cloning a customer care rep. The training data is all their previous communications and those communications, a lot of companies will have them logged in Zendesk. They'll use macros to reply to support tickets or some companies I know are just using WhatsApp chats back and forth or Georgia's or whatever tool they have. They all have their log files and that data is all you need. Just give me the data, give me five minutes and I will clone that person. And if you're one of those people being like, shit, I'm going to be out of a job on Monday, possibly now the way you protect against that is you still need someone to oversee these systems, not as many people. So in that one example, I know there's 25 people in this role, probably two or three people will be left. Um, there's a lot of positions that are ripe for disruptions and customer support reps. Your days are numbered. I'm sorry. That's the reality. You're going to have to retrain and, and get familiar, familiar with these tools. It's going to create a lot of new jobs and new opportunities. And there's going to be quite a few people that have to get into retraining customer support reps. Number one, because it's all repeatable, easy. The training data is there and we can get in front, like we can get between your website or your emails and say Zendesk. We just, the same example is like cloning you. We just clone them. And then if it knows the answer from the data, it instantly responds 24 seven at like little to no cost. And if it doesn't have the, the answer, then it connects you with a customer support person. And you're instantly probably filtering out 90% of those communications. Amazing. Yeah. Are you aware that, um, that $15,000 incentive from the Canadian government, uh, it, can it be used for 
you know, is it worthwhile program? Is it worth business owners, you know, making the application and getting 90% of 15 grand back to have someone analyze uh, the opportunities for AI in their business? Yeah. The CDAP is huge for this. And when CDAP was built, they didn't, they weren't thinking AI. Well, I don't think they were um, most, it felt a little bit like a sort of COVID related grant to stimulate the economy and just go out and build websites or add e-commerce. Like the, the original use cases for CDAP were pretty just basic digital marketing and CRM ERP type stuff. And now that AI is here, yeah, absolutely. CDAP is perfect for that. I just had a long conversation with someone today about that. And, um, you know, you can get that $15,000 consulting advice. I think you pay 1500 bucks. The government pays the 15,000 and you get back a, a digital adoption plan. And once that plan is approved from the government, you then go out and get, I believe it's a hundred thousand dollars. Is it interest-free for from 10 BDC? years? Um, there's a hundred thousand dollar check that comes after there's strings. I mean, you have to pay it back, but I think it's potentially interest-free or something like that. It's very, very attractive. And yeah, you can, you can go to a program like CDAP and say, I want to invest in this and come up with an AI solution and government can fund the whole thing. But the wild part is I don't think you need that money to pull this off. People think this is going to be expensive. And the problem with CDAP is you have to sit down with a CDAP advisor for quite a bit of time and you have to work on these proposals and do all this back and forth. Then you have to get it approved. Well, if that whole process for you to get your $100,000 from the government, if that takes two to three months, that's like two to three years in the AI exponential age. Like, <laughs> and really... We can automate your customer support in five minutes. Here's the money. <laughs> That's crazy. But just before we get past it, here's the money uh, that you don't need. It's uh, that CDAP is a zero interest loan of up to $100,000 with a five-year term plus 12 months capital postponement for a total of six years. Okay. But you don't need it. I don't it's think you need it right away. So what I would do if you were thinking about getting serious with AI is first I would get a CDAP consultant. And if you have questions, email me. I know a few really good ones. And you're not one? No, we, we applied and then they changed the rules and we were running at hundred percent capacity. At the time it was to get more website and digital marketing stuff. And we, we weren't looking for more clients at the time. I regret that now because the process to go back is time consuming, but we have partners. We've partnered with uh, friendly agencies that will help us there. So what I would do is I would go out and and find a CDAP consultant, get that $15,000 plan built out all about AI. You'll spend a little bit of time and they'll do a lot of the work and you're going to have to wait a few months to get all the approvals through. At the same time, I would talk to someone like me. I mean, there's just so you know, there's hundreds of companies doing the same thing. I just, I want to say some competitors because I don't want to be like a sales guy, like uh, get, get Cody is one site. GPT.ai is another. Um, th they all have slightly different angles, but um, you know, there's also, you just start Googling around and searching. There's hundreds of players in this space that are augmenting chat GPT for small businesses. So while you're doing your CDAP application, I would immediately start working with an AI consultant. And if you're working with me, I would just go through, we use a, a process that comes from back when we were building ERPs or business automation platforms, where we would look at all of the processes within your company. We'd say, how much time are you spending on it? What is the labor cost per year? For that process, what percentage of it do we think that we can automate with AI or other tools? What will be the potential savings, the benefit, and then what would it cost? And then the fi the final column we get the ROI, like what's the return on investment? And for our model, it was just telling us how many months would it take before you got your original 
money back. And then we sort by that column with the smallest number at the top. And those are the things that you start to automate. Now, we would want to look for the low hanging fruit automation opportunity. So that one example that you picked up on, absolutely right. Customer support, you got the training data, five minutes. If you've got those log files, we can put that up on your website and suddenly you're it's crickets in your support team, right? And they can work on other stuff that you need them for. So you'll go through and, and knock off a bunch of stuff like automating your SOPs. We've even built like training bots to help new employees navigate through a company and reduce questions to HR. We're building uh, testing bots that after you've completed a curriculum, we can say randomly generate like 50 multiple choice questions and score people and like we've replaced it, our testing tools with AI as well. So you'll go through and just check off a bunch of stuff. And every time you do that, what happens is you free up time in the company and that builds a sort of compounding momentum. What about accounting? You haven't mentioned finance. It seems pretty oh, repeatable. Yeah. Accounting. Uh, so like I said, at the beginning, there's everything's moving so fast that the only way we could possibly try to keep up is have people in their own lane. So our control, like every single person in our company is becoming an AI consultant. So our controller Malay has been with us for 10 years. Amazing, amazing guy. Um, he's deep into AI for accounting. So testing out and finding out which apps will work best for accounting reconciliations. But I think that's probably one of the first places that, that we'll, we'll be implementing that is accounting reconciliations. Um, so yeah, go through that framework, identify all of your priorities, and then just start knocking the easy ones off and sometimes like 50 bucks, 25 bucks, an hour here, two hours there. Oh wait, we need a two week project to clean up this data. And it starts to get more complicated as you get further down. But the beauty is after you've taken the early low hanging fruit off of the table there, you're like, we just saved 20% of our company time and we spent a few thousand dollars. And now you can finance the more complex projects because they inevitably point back to ERP, centralized data, which can get expensive. And that's where you start to like connect all of these different systems together and realize that you need SAP or something like that to, to like data warehousing or Google cloud storage and bringing in the, the big guns. So people like me can get you far, fast, cheap, and then you build the momentum to take the plunge into the, the next level beyond there, which can get pretty expensive. That sounds pretty rational. What do you call that plan? That, that method of making a plan to adopt AI? I mean, we just say... It's an, kind of like a MVP, keep it simple. It's a combination of MVP and KISS. I don't know if there's a name for it, but um, it's like good to great, the flywheel, iterate, get the compounding momentum and then keep going. We, I mean, we always use this when we were pitching ERPs back in the day against companies like SAP, they would come out there and charge you quarter million, $300,000. It would take two years to implement and and the joke was like, you would lose your job at the end of that process. <laughs> what we would do is we would do this, the same framework, same analysis. We go through their business and say, what is the first piece that we want to automate? Where are you going to get the biggest bang for your buck? So, um, we, we always did this approach and then we would roll out our ERPs in a very granular modular, um, way that, that way. And, and so, cause I always found it hard to go and sell somebody on a quarter million dollar software development project, but Hey, to spend $10,000 to save you $30,000 a year. That sounds cool. Let's take that one on. Now that that's done, let's go spend 15,000 to save you 40,000. And now we're going to spend 50,000 to save you 80,000 a year. And before you know it, it's like, I just paid quarter million dollars for an ERP and it didn't really <laughs> feel like it. So we've just taken that strategy and rolled it into here. Yeah. I get it. When you were uh, saying that you do this for free, you talk to companies for free. And then the first thing you want is 50 bucks. I don't think it ends there. That's just nope. the beginning. 
No, the funny thing is we haven't even figured out how to sell this stuff. We haven't monetized. We're, we're pre-market. selling it like a drug dealer. First one's yeah. free. <laughs> <laughs> See if well, you like it. I, I think I know how to sell it and I love selling, but we haven't actually charged anyone anything for anything AI yet. I've done hundreds of consultations and multiple speaking engagements. I've been consulting with probably 25, 30 different companies already. We haven't charged a dollar. I lied. Maybe one cl client, we charged a thousand bucks for consulting, but... We're just figuring well, out. They're going to be pissed our... when they hear this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, we're just figuring out our pricing model. But I, I think for agencies like mine, the model that I think will make the most sense of having a lot of discussions with other agency owners and other sort of process automation experts is going to be like a retainer model where, you know, you pay like 2500 bucks a month to get access to a community and resource access to tools. You'll have a monthly meeting. We'll develop a roadmap and... Um, I think that's the model that we'll go with. And the challenge there is the, the, the limited resources on, on like the human capital side to, to handle this. So um, it's going to be an HR heavy push to find the AI consultants that can join our team and, and build that up. But that's why we're going with two, two pronged approach. One is we've got the advising consulting side of our business, which is kind of like running a marketing agency. Hopefully you get a hundred clients paying in 2,500 bucks a month, plus additional services. You've got a good business there. And then we've got the apps on the other side. So that's where MyZone AI Pro as, as an app, we want to get, you know, like 100,000 people paying us 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month to use these tools. Through the app. Yeah. So no people. No people. Self-help. Yeah. And then we're going to have a little button is like, you want help? Just click here and book us for four hours and uh, we'll charge your credit card and yeah. make it nice and easy. Back to the process that you recommend is can a company or any kind of team anywhere uh, do their own brainstorming in terms of like, what could we use AI to do and generate? It could be a fun process, right? Almost a team building process to think about all the things they do, starting with, well, not even starting, but I guess maybe starting with the the most repeatable, um, you know, the stuff where we have the data there that could possibly be uploaded um, and then ending up with, you know, other stuff like developing strategy and, and, and that kind of thing, market research and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then bring someone like you in at that point to help, uh, put that sort that list in order of like, what is easiest, quickest and cheapest to kind of knock off or accomplish. Yeah. I think you'd want to have one champion within that group. That's done a little bit more research and thought about that to sort of guide the conversation. I mean, it might be a bit of a free for all, but I mean, we went up to David Katz's house and we had 40, were you in that group? No. We had about 40, 45 people there and we did exactly that. And it was the very beginning. We just started talking and we got into little breakout groups of 10 and everyone was sort of brainstorming. But I intentionally said, I, I grabbed four leaders for each of the groups and made sure there was at least one person in that group that knew something about something because um, there's a lot of cases where people just won't even know, like, we're talking to Paul from Gibraltar and one of the opportunities that I don't think somebody without AI experience would have realized is that when he gets the designs that are sent in from his clients that he has to quote on for renovating people's office spaces or renovating banks and dentist office and stuff that you can have AI analyze the imagery and figure out all of the materials and costing dynamically using like image recognition. And that's not something that you know, if you just put 10 people in a room without AI experience, I'll be like, I don't know, let's build blog articles. So I think you do need some guidance for those, those meetings. So will you do it? I mean, if, yeah. if a team doesn't have an expert, yeah. you come in and help. Yeah. And I, I was just on, on the phone today with, uh, 
with Brennan. Jeez, Brennan, what was your company name? He was referred from uh, Jason Boudreau with an EO and Brennan is a process automation expert. And those are the people we're looking to partner with. These are people that do this all day long. These are people that specialize in like Zapier connecting with all your different tools. And now they're starting to learn how to connect those tools with, with uh, chat GPT. So my, my hope there is that I, I think those business process automation experts, they've got so many different names out there. You know, you can find them on Upwork. You, they're hard to find, but there's, there, there's a whole community of them out there. And those are the, the people you need to talk to. Those are the people that will guide you through those processes. But we're, we're gonna, like, we can't possibly keep up with demand. Like I've pitched for our sort of closed beta. I pitched 27 companies at 100% closing rates. Well, mind you, it was free, so it was pretty easy. <laughs> but 100% interest before they even knew what the price was. Everyone's like, I'm down, I'm down, sign me up. What does it cost? I'm like, well, it's free. We don't know how to charge you yet. Um, so there's a massive supply issue in, in knowledge. So what we have to do is build tools to automate this, use AI, use videos, training, self-help. And then if you're going to want to book in with these consultants, I mean, you have to be expecting to pay like 200 plus per hour and they're going to be hard to find. Yeah. Do you think AI could go wrong? Do you think social media could go wrong? I think it has gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was so exciting when social media first came out and suddenly it's like disrupting democracy. So yeah, I mean, geez, I think this is a hundred times more impactful than social. I think there's a hundred times more risks involved. I mean, we've probably, anybody who's been reading the news has seen all of the, the fear mongering side of things. I'm, I am an eternal optimist as I think a lot of entrepreneurs are, and we kind of have to be to get through the highs and lows of our, you know, daily lives. Um, but I mean, some of the biggest risks that, that I think about, I mean, immediate short-term risks would be similar to social. It would be disrupting politics and democracy and putting out misinformation and imagine like a, a massive wave of misinformation goes out there or in the short term as well. Like I had a call with my, my mom a few months ago when I first saw this on, on, one of the news feeds about how you can now impersonate people's voices over the phone and ask your mom, like, mom, mom, I'm stuck in Brazil. I need a, I need you to email me $10,000, $100,000 right away. Or that one where someone's like, I'm my, I've been kidnapped. You know, you need to send a hundred thousand dollars. Otherwise they're going to shoot me. And that kind of stuff is going on right now. Like the phishing scams are going to be crazy. There's going to be a lot of now you've got just old vulnerable people that don't quite know the difference between rbc.com and rbc-online.ru, you know, it's going to be people like that. My son called me and he was in trouble and I emailed him some money. What do you mean? That was a scam. They're not even going to understand that. So the immediate term is, is scam and, and misinformation. I think that those are the biggest threats and misinformation is a pretty massive threat. Look at how messed up our world has become and how polarized in the last five years. I blame that all on social media and erosion of the of trust in the, in the media system because of the way these echo chambers and that's going to be amplified. Now you'll have these echo chambers just fed dynamic real-time misinformation that can be controlled by these big organizations that are, you can't really detect or shut down. That's going to be a big problem. Short-term, the longer term stuff gets really scary. <laughs> you want to talk about like biological warfare, the fact that anybody can play around and develop, you know, viruses or, um, the fact that AI could develop a, a life of its own and decide that we're not healthy for the planet and be misaligned with the, the goals of humanity. And, you know, that example of what was that, the paperclip one, like you're optimized to make paperclips and you know, like these AIs can, could just go off the rails. And what were the, the three rules of AI is like, 
Do no harm. Do no harm. Don't connect them to the internet. Oh, the rules about AI. Yeah. To protect us. There's some three governing rules that Nick was talking about mm. governing rules. And can't remember the third one, but one of them was like, don't, don't let them interface directly with people because they can manipulate you. Don't connect them to the internet. And I don't know, but he's like, we violated been, all three right might away. Might have been each other. Yeah. That's something that, that I've thought about in the past. That's, that's kind of freaky that they're independently so capable already. And I get that we're at the first 1% of what will be a hundred percent of the, of the power of the experience. Um, but once uh, the various AIs start, you know, becoming connected with each other and developing community and, and pooling knowledge and that kind of thing, it's going to feel a little bit out of control. Yeah. And it can happen in very subtle ways. Like this reminds me of back how we used to do search engine optimization. We'd always try to think about like, if I was Google, what would I do? And like, if I was an AI, what would I do here? I mean, if you started to become self-aware, you'd probably want to hide that. Right. And these large language models are so complex. You're dealing with like billions of parameters and the, the data scientists behind this, the AI engineers are saying like, we don't actually know what's going on. We can't reverse engineer this. We put it into these large language models and we don't exactly know what's going on. So it'd be very easy for an AI who suddenly becomes even just partially self-aware yeah. to hide that and start to manipulate and we're connected to the internet. And before you know it, um, once it has every, everything it needs, it'd be sort of like an information explosion. It could happen within seconds where it's like a, a blast around the world. You know, it could travel at the speed of electricity. What information? AGI. Like, like when, when AI becomes, it was no longer aligned with hum, humanity's interests. It could easily have a slow play. What is AGI? Artificial general intelligence. So the, the AI test, I think you're right. The sort of Turing test, like if you can't recognize or tell the difference between AI and a human, I think it's past that Turing test. But AGI is sort of the point where AI becomes smarter than us and develops a life of its own and develops consciousness and um, self teaches. Well, it's, it's about what smart is. I mean, chat GPT is already smarter than me and everyone I know and probably everyone in the world already, right? In terms of like IQ, intelligence, data, memory, all that kind of stuff, knowledge, generally speaking. Um, but then it's about like, what, what kind of smart are you talking about? I mean, this is smart on the scale that if we said, okay, AI is currently 50% smarter than the average genius. I mean, we're talking like mosquitoes versus humans smart like exponent, like a million times smarter. So right. smart that we can't possibly envision it. Like the human brain has a hard time thinking beyond, like we're designed to think in a linear fashion. And these things are happening at exponential rates that we can't even remotely understand. So it, it'd be like explaining to somebody who's in a horse and buggy about the internet, about blockchain. And they're like, they don't even have cars yet or electricity. Exactly. So yeah. we can't possibly envision that what's around that corner we can try we can take wild stabs at it but we have no idea yeah ah oh, it's tripping me out man it's, yeah it reminds me of like thoughts i've always had about like you know religion theology and stuff like that that if you know looking at the christian religion if there was a god that created the earth and seven days and all that kind of stuff but also you know the the stars and the universe and all that stuff because we know what's out there so god must have created it um if there was an entity, a being that, that did all that, who are we to even be able to comprehend, you know, what that 
person is or did or didn't do that it's written in a book. I have a hard time, you know, figuring all that out because I don't have, you know, I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough perspective on it. This is what this conversation is starting to feel like. I mean, this has always been a religious thing for me. I've been following this for 15, 20 years. My friend Harry introduced me to life extension and, oh man, I'm drawing a blank on that name. It's the guy who, uh, Ray Kurzweil. And I read some of his stuff like 15 years ago and he was talking about the technical singularity and sort of somewhere between 40, 40, uh, 2045 and 2049. Um, and yeah, like when you start to study that and realize it, it's like, it's a religion, it's a religion. And you think about any civilization that has reached that point of AGI would become gods to us. And so who's to say that we didn't come from some AGI? You know, a, a, a milestone in the path of AI going wrong will be, this is a good idea. Someone should steal and put it into a movie, but like an apocalyptic AI gone wrong movie, but it's going to be that the first person that sees a version of AI that, that, uh, they believe deserves some human in quotes, air quotes, human rights. You know, that this version of the AI is at a place now where this is a life form and maybe it's, you know, it's put into a robot that looks something familiar and really personifies the technology. So it really hits home for people on a kind of an emotional or gut level. Um, or maybe it's just the software and just the voice and the image that's rendered out about the, you know, that the software is taking or whatever. But it's at that point where, the, where somebody is successful in convincing a group of people, a small group at first, and then a larger group that, no, we've created a new life form. Maybe it's a company that does it for, for some commercial interest. But at that point where we, we would give it rights, um, that's given away a lot of control, but then there's this ethical debate, like, is it actually a new life form? And is that actually the right thing to do? What do you think? I think in a controlled contained environment that could play out, but I'm thinking that's, that's the, the human storytelling. That's the, the version that we can understand. I think the real version what will probably happen will be more like a lightning bolt. Like it's going to build slowly in the background and then it's going to be a spark and then it's going to be an explosion, almost like a nuclear bomb going off across. I mean, if it happens in minutes or days, it's going to happen incredibly fast, in my opinion, when it happens. Definitely in our lifetimes. I've always felt that the 2045 Ray Kurzweil prediction was slow. I mean, Elon is saying within this decade, I've, I feel like, like everything, yeah. <laughs> everything is, is changing exponentially. So you have to think like everywhere around the world, the smartest people, the people that are building software, the people that are building, I don't know, I'm not a biomedicine person, the CRISPR tech and all that, whatever. They now have all these AI tools at their disposal and the AI tools are getting exponentially smarter and faster. And the people that are building the next generation AI tools are using AI to help them code faster. Like in part of my presentation, you can see like GitHub, like that global repository of software is like some 41% of all software uploaded in, as of November last year was generated by AI. And we think like within a year, 18 months, you're going to see a 90% increased efficiency of software developers around the world. So what impact does AI have in just accelerating all of these other exponential technologies when suddenly the people that are building other exponential techs suddenly have 10x the dev resources? So everything is going to speed up and they all feed into each other, even blockchain and 3D printing, 
robotics. And those, those businesses out there that aren't say in information tech are like, you know what, I'm fine. I need people at my restaurants or I'm selling towers or whatever. You might be fine. Okay. But what about when the, the chat GPT moment hit hard now for people in information, people selling data pixels, even models and voice actors, like it's a f- movies, marketers, consultants, like it's ripping through those sorts of industries now, but there's going to be another moment coming very, very soon, which will be the robotics moment for everybody else. That's when suddenly a restaurant can get a chef leased for cheaper than they can hire one, or they can even find one. Maybe they're not available. And when that happens, it's kind of like right now you can see the EV explosion is happening and in, in down in the States with some subsidies, you're seeing uh, the Tesla model three is now cheaper than the Toyota, Toyota Corolla. You're going to see that same moment with robotics and that's all being accelerated. So when that happens and they all start to interact with each other, I, I think like this could happen a lot sooner. I mean, we can't, humans are notoriously wrong at trying to predict exponential growth curves and we always underestimate them historically. So do you want that to happen? I think it's an amazing time to be alive. I've been dreaming about this since I was a kid and working on this for 22 years in my business, just automating and thinking about a world of abundance. I've out, my religion is always believing that like my, my parents um, raised me as Christian and I had to go to church every Sunday when my friends were going skiing in Whistler and I never really bought into that. I always bought into something else. And for me, the minute I saw technology and when I read the book abundance, I'm like, yes, this is what I've been saying. This is what I've been feeling. Um, so I believe the world is going to get exponentially better. I think that just like, you know, you look at what's packed into your cell phone today and it's going to be a world where we get into all the like demonetization of, of electricity, demonetization of technology. Look at the, the impact on education, like the Khan Academy and some of the AI that they're putting out there to the world, like anybody in the world can get an amazing education. Um, I think the world is going to be an incredible place. And I'm, I'm just so excited to be living through this right now. Why do you need an education if you can just ask AI? I think there's a short period of time that education will be useful. (laughs) (laughs) Such an honest answer. Yeah. I mean, we, you ever seen the movie Idiocracy? I talk about this movie all the time. Idiocracy? Yeah. Mike Judge, Idiocracy. It's so good. You got to watch it because it's over 20 years old now, but it's, uh, it takes a shockingly comical and accurate sort of look at what the future of mankind is. (laughs) And AI is not really part of it, but it, you know, it just makes me think that, you know, a lot of people can just relax their brains a little bit if they can, they don't really need to learn how to write properly because, you know, they can just have AI do it for them. And, and there's so many things already, and this is just, again, 1% and there's so much more coming. Um, ah, what do I need to figure it out? Why do I need to learn it or, or practice this and become excellent at it when, if this, this computer can do it better than I ever could. Yeah, I think we're going to go through transitions where there's going to be mass disruption. Like you're already seeing this in the in the headlines and the news, like so-and-so laying off 7,000 people and won't be hiring them back due to AI. And I think there's going to be disruption. There's going to be inequality. Then there's going to be government's going to step in. There's going to be universal basic income and all sorts of things like that happening. But if we go back in the past and look, whenever there's been a major technological revolution, like say like the printing press, it, it like, sure, a bunch of people lost jobs in one place, but then it opened up a ton of new jobs in other places like marketing. Marketing was new. There's going to be all sorts of new professions that open up. But the problem is, is that we're kind of like at the end of that, like this is a whole new era. So, you know, you had 
electricity and the automobile and the internet and all these different waves that created tons and tons of jobs. But now the scary part is if you look at the types of jobs that are being taken out, like consultants and lawyers, and, and even I was talking to somebody like healthcare and education is right for disruption right now. Education, there's going to be apps, like everything we were talking about with MyZone AI, that's just text-based where things get crazy. And we saw this on a presentation of a video gamer using Unreal Engine and GPT-4 connections. And he was building personas within those, the characters in the game. What are they called? Those NPCs, like the non- Non-player characters. Non-player characters. And you're having like these AI conversations with them. And, but it was streaming the conversation back and forth. So it was like having a chat with ChatGPT, except you're using your voice and you're talking to a 4K avatar character oh, and they're just gosh. talking with you. So you got to remember like in less than a year, this text-based interface, like you see with ChatGPT is going to feel like a DOS prompt. And we get into that world where you can just... such a good analogy. That's exactly what it'll feel like. Yeah. And you're not going to have to worry about prompt engineering. You're just going to talk to an AI. It's going to decipher what you want. It's not going to say like, figure out your complex DOS prompt and hit enter. Just talk to me. Do you think anyone will ever fall in love with one? They already are. (laughs) The Instagram model that was cloning celebrities, cloning models, cloning porn stars. I mean, this is already happening right now and you can pay a dollar a minute to, to chat with them and they will remember you and all of your conversations get stored into long-term memory and they'll build a relationship with you. And it, you know, it won't be long before you'll strap on your $3,500 Apple VR headset, put on your $10,000 haptic bodysuit, have your conversation with your virtual girlfriend and <laughs> Maybe that's all you need in life. Oh. <laughs> There's quite a few countries with shortages of women and that technology becomes available to the masses at an affordable price. And you're going to see introversion like you've never seen before. Yeah. It's already happening. Young, young people apparently are having less sex, you know, uh, or they're starting later in life. The percentage of uh, people under 18, uh, I don't know what the data is, but it's down like 30% or something very alarming. Um, but it's because of that, because of porn and just the accessibility of it. Have you seen the movie Her? Yeah, I think so. Uh, there it is. Joaquin Phoenix, right? Yeah. You got to watch that. That is, uh, it's, he falls in love with, uh, an AI and, and there's nothing there, but a voice, like there's no, not even an animation, certainly no robotics, but just somebody to talk to that gets to know him better and better and just makes him feel amazing. Another movie I sometimes quote in my talks, it's, uh, don't look up. So funny. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. That's where we are right now. There's a meteor whatever, <laughs> coming to the earth and everyone's just arguing and talking and debating and it's not real. And yeah, we got to organize. Yeah. Cause this is, this is big. What do you mean by organize? Well, I mean, as an individual, you need to say, look at your career plan look at your educational plan, look at the plan you have for your children. Within your companies, you need to realign. You need to set new visions, kind of like everybody had those COVID pivot moments. Well, this is a hundred times more impactful than COVID. And a lot of people haven't even started making plans yet. So organizing within your companies or even finding external ways to disrupt your own company, changing your investment strategies. I think collaboration. So we're right now trying to partner with as many people as we can, like AI consultants. And I mean, forming partnerships around investments and developments and finding synergies. Um, There's just a lot to do. And the people that know like that, 
the analogy I use is, is, is there's a there's a tidal wave coming and we don't know when it's going to land. It's going to land. It's there's different waves, different heights of waves. And for like the voice actors that used to do voiceovers for, you know, audiobooks and what have you, it's already crashed on them. You know, 70% of their jobs are already been gone in the last year. And models, portrait photographers are already feeling it. You can, for 29 bucks, you can go online. You can upload four or five different images and choose your suit. And you just look amazing. And you save 500 bucks on your corporate fo photos. And you take all 50 of your employees. It used to be a $2,500 day for, or a $20,000 day for a portrait photographer. It can now be done for 30 bucks a head. So that wave has already crashed. And, you know, digital marketers, like it, it's, it's, it's going. But the people that know, they're running around scrambling they're building life rafts. They're building surfboards. They're running for the hills. That's only like 5% of the population. The other 95%, like, don't look up. They're just sitting around being like, why is it a little bit colder today? <laughs> you know, so I, I feel like you have to wake up and start doing shit. Or the reality is you may just be sitting around collecting basic income when you had an opportunity to change the world and be a part of that abundance. Do you believe in UBI? I've believed in it for a long time. It just doesn't seem like I can't find any other solution until COVID, right? You used to believe in it and then COVID happened. No, no, I still believe in it. I've always believed in it. And I know it's, it's, there's a lot of people that don't, but I mean, when everything is being demonetized around the world and we can see that happening for the last 10, 15 years, just look at the million dollar computer you have in your pocket. Uh, it's these trends are accelerating when I mean, everything is, is cheap or free and abundant to all. I mean, how do you pay for government services there? I, I do believe there'll be something like a robot tax or an AI tax, and they're going to have to distribute that. But that's the thing with AI moving so fast, the world, if, if, if you feel like the world has been getting faster and things are changing faster and faster every, ever since we've been kids, like if you look at the number of SKUs or like the, the items in a grocery store, the options that we have, like the, the different colors of car, how many car models you can choose from, everything is just getting more and more complicated and sophisticated. And the rate of that change is growing exponentially. And I completely lost my trade of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> and the same is happening or will happen with AI. No doubt that was your thought because everything you say ends with AI. <laughs> But you know what? I think an opportunity I see that not not for me, but something that will probably happen is that companies will develop characters around them, personify their AIs and they will position them as as better, cooler, more attractive, more fun, um, various expertises. And then they'll they'll sell that. They'll, they'll, they'll lease it or, you know, whatever they do, they'll monetize it in some way and, yeah. because they can patent that, you know, because AI right now isn't isn't patentable. I don't think, you know, I don't know. I, I, that's such a broad statement. It doesn't even make sense, but I mean the, the chat GPT experience, um, and the content we get from it, none of it, you know, everything you upload is you're putting up onto the cloud for everyone to benefit from and everything you get from it isn't necessarily yours. I think technically you should give credit to chat GPT, but companies will personify and monetize personas, characters, and, and it's going to be, and there'll be tons of them, just like you were saying about cars and all the selections in the grocery stores, they'll be like, you know, we've already seen it a bit. Siri is a, is a, is an example. Alexa is another example. Um, there's going to become dozens and then hundreds that are better, cooler, and maybe they can adapt. Maybe I can run, uh, Linda on my cell phone because I just like Linda better. 
even though it's an Apple phone. Maybe Apple won't allow it, but it's it's really hard to predict because everything is changing. That was my original point. <laughs> Everything's changing so fast we can't predict the future. Like we just can't. So th- th- this could end up like one AI fits all, right? And that might be open AI. And why do you need all these specialist AIs when it's smarter? Like if it hits the if it's growing exponentially faster and it's already has the lead. It might be that Google and everyone else could just never catch up. Are we paying for it or is it free? We're paying for it right now by providing training data. So if you're using the online web version and you're not paying for it, like the 20 bucks, 20 us per month to have access to GPT four and the plugins and what have you, it says on there, like this is experimental. We're collecting your data to help make it. This is a research mode or whatever. So you're paying for it with data and then a lot of people, like a lot of companies are paying those 20 bucks a month so that you can toggle the button and then they can't collect your data. Plus you get access to GPT-4, which is way smarter. So uh, it's kind of like Facebook. We're not technically paying for it, but yeah, I mean, we all paid a lot for it when Trump got elected, thanks to Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. We're just not paying hard currency or not much. You know, we're, we're paying with our data for we're now. We're paying in digital oil yeah. data. I get it. Oh man, this is, this is, I could talk to you for hours about this. Like, uh, it's it's just never ending. This is a conversation where you kind of want to just be like pacing around a room while you're having it. (laughs) I don't mind sitting down, but yeah, I I would like to have a whiteboard within reach for sure. Um, but I think we should cut it there today. I mean, I'd like to have you back and cause it's changing so much and, and this isn't going away. Um, you assure me this is not, uh, just a fad, uh, and I believe you and that's why you're here. Cause I, I'm frankly fascinated and, um, excited. Uh, I'm not sure it's good, but it's happening. Um, you know, in my, in my very first ayahuasca journey ever, I was shown that technology isn't evil. Uh, that's evolution transcendence even. And it, it's, it was, it was a wild, wild experience. And, uh, it makes me open to what you're saying is a hundred times, more likely than social media going wrong uh, by going wrong chat GPT or, or sorry, AI is, um, you know, taking over the world, so to speak. And we're going to end up serving it, worshiping it like uh, a deity. Uh, it's a terrifying thought, <laughs> but if, if that's uh, the way things go, um, I don't know. I feel powerless to stop it. I've heard people a lot smarter than me say that it can't be stopped. No one's not, everyone's going to agree to stop. And uh, this train has left the station, so to speak. So we find our path, you know, through it, I guess, but people need help that I know. So, uh, let's start with Jeanette. If, uh, if there's teams out there that feel some fear, um, in their organizations and their teams, or just have some questions, she'd be a great person to get some coaching from. How do they get in touch? Absolutely. So if you go to myzone.ai, you can read about our exponential mindset coaching programs there, and you can contact Jeanette. Another great place. I recommend everybody spends at least 30 minutes a day reading about this. So I use, um, well, two sources. So if you go to newsletter.myzone.ai or just go to myzone.ai and sign up for those newsletters, there's one for small business owners. There's another one called the rabbit hole sign up for those. And it's a weekly summary of all generated by AI, but it's awesome. Just read through that. I use Apple news and make sure you've got the AI channel flagged and just go through and read all the AI headlines every day. I think Within your, if you're a business owner uh, within your companies, you should make sure you, you set those, those two visions, both internal disruption and external and start to work from your vision all the way down to your rocks. 
That's really important. Remind me again, internal versus external. So internal means like iteratively improving the efficiency of your business and the external is like smoked us. Who would it be? Yeah. And then start building that. So for me, like internal is making my marketing agency as efficient as possible so I can gobble up other marketing agencies. And then the external is like launching myzone.ai thinking that all marketing agencies will be replaced by an app. So those are my two approaches. I see. Yeah, I get it. And uh, just to finish on a positive note, like, because I think this, the first time people hear this, I get a lot of questions afterwards. It's like their people are scared about their jobs. They're scared about the future. When you have these moments, depending on which videos you watch, sometimes you might even have trouble sleeping for a few days. But the positives that can come out of this, like we're talking about heaven on earth here. And these are not just like, oh, I think it's going to be amazing. Like, no, you can break it down into what's going to happen. Like think of just drug research, how AI can discover molecules and, and drugs that could cure cancer, that can cure the common cold, that could solve huge political problems, that could improve the efficiency, that could discover materials that could solve global warming, you know, like a finding an organism that will just go out there and eat all the world's plastics in the oceans. And there's so much good is going to come from this. So I like to think about that. And yeah, I agree hundred percent. I, when I did that CBC radio thing, I, the analogy I gave was like, we're on a runaway train without brakes heading towards a blinding light. We don't know if it's good or bad, but it's exciting and we can't stop this train now. I agree hundred percent. So if you can't stop it, why worry about it? Just go enjoy the ride, be an optimist, make the best of the situation. Cause you can't stop that train. And I truly believe on the other side that it's going to be a world of abundance and it could almost be like heaven on earth, more material wealth than we could ever dream of and hyper intelligence that governs all of our decisions. You know, it could bring peace on earth and solve global warming and in an afternoon. (laughs) Oh, I could poke a few holes in that. I just don't want to. You just painted such a, such a rosy picture. That's another episode, but you can't, (laughs) but I could try. Um, I am also an optimist and I also believe in abundance. Um, and I'll just leave it at that for now. <laughs> There's a big but there, but uh, but let's just leave it and chat another day. How do people get in touch with you if they want to get your help? You know, I haven't been on social media in a long time. So just go to myzone.ai, fill that out. Or you can reach me, mike at myzone.ai. Just email me. And yeah, someday I'm going to have to build a social media profile again. <laughs> have AI do it for you. Yeah. It's good to so see you. Fun. Thank you so much for it. I'm so honored. I said that before, I'll say it now, like to be, I, I love that that first chat we had and to be invited back on the show. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I was looking forward to this chat all week. Well, you might be the first for a three-peat too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's see how many upvotes this gets.